0: Today's sermon is going to sound a little familiar uh, to most of you. Um, I decided that I want to do a series on the kingdom of God. And I want to go through the Bible uh, and kind of show you how the story of the kingdom of God is weaved from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so we're going to spend several weeks doing this. And to kick this off, I'm going to go back to... um, a topic that I preached last year on the kingdom of God. You may remember it. I'm going to go back and we're going to recap the kingdom of God. We're going to kind of get everything set and, and the story set uh, to start off this series for the next several weeks. Uh, so before we get started, let's, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your love and Father, we thank you that you have a story, that you have a plan that you have written it all out, that you know the end from the beginning and that that story includes you at the the center, at the focal point, the center of the story and your love for us. And Father, we thank you for your love. And so, Father, we thank you um, for doing all that you have done for us, for bringing us into existence, for giving us life, for giving us an opportunity to know you and an opportunity to spend eternity with you, to be forgiven of our sins and to live with you forever. And, Father, we thank you for that love. And so, Father, we pour out our hearts to you in love to you, and we love you, Father. And, Father, we ask that you help us to love others just as you do. Father, please guide us during this hour as we look at your word and study this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Father, and to help us to understand it in a way that it can, it can shape how we have our gospel conversations. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray, amen. So the Bible, what we have here, Genesis through Revelation, is, you know how many books? Any guess? Sixty-six. You won that on Bible trivia? All right, another Bible trivia. How many Old Testament, how many New Testament? All right, 39 and 27. Does that add up to 66? Okay, just make sure. All right, 39 and 27. All right, well, we are looking at this Bible, even though it's 66 different books, even though it was written in three different languages on three different continents for over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors, it is one continuous story from beginning to end, and it is God's story. And one catchy little phrase I've heard, I'm sure you've heard, is it's his story. History in itself, history is his story. And so we are going to be looking at God's story. That story is, has a framework to it. It has a, a thread that ties it together. Um, the Old and New Testaments are not two completely different stories. And that's a problem uh, that we catch ourselves falling into as New Testament Christians, especially in America, 2,000 years after Christ. We tend to separate the old and new and to think that the new is what we live in. It's what applies to us. And the old, it mainly just applied to a different people, the people of Israel, at a different time, at a different place. And we sometimes lose track of how that applies to us. But it's not. It's not two different stories. It's one continuous story. Um, The New Testament and Jesus and his teachings do not somehow do away with or replace the Old Testament. Jesus taught and proclaimed the exact same story that all the Old Testament prophets proclaim. And so we get into trouble when we try to separate the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus from the Old Testament. So if the New Testament is a continuation of the same story in the Old Testament, then what is that story? What is the the theme that binds it all together? What is the common thread um, weaved throughout the Bible that stitches all 66 books together from Genesis to Revelation? What is the framework or the overarching story? What's the setting that every story takes place in? The setting or the backdrop is God's kingdom. That is the framework. That is the setting. That is the backdrop. So if you're watching a play and they come out to do the play and they always, they put all this stuff in the background to set the scene, the setting, the backdrop to tell you where is this story taking place? Well, where is this story of the Bible taking place? What is the backdrop? What is the thing that is the, the the same scene that all the stories take place in? And it is God's kingdom. Every story takes place in the context of God's kingdom. The thread that ties every story together from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation is God's kingdom. So let's look at it real quick. Matthew 3, 1 and 2 We read that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. You may not realize this because John the Baptist is in the New Testament. But John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. Because Jesus, the New New Testament means new covenant. Old Testament means old covenant. And Jesus instituted a new covenant. He was the prophet, the greatest prophet. Jesus was the prophet who instituted the New Covenant. So the last prophet that came before the New Covenant, the prophet that was still in the Old Covenant, was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet, even though we often uh, recite Malachi as being that last Old Testament prophet. But Malachi, as well as Isaiah, prophesied that there would come a messenger. There would come another prophet in the spirit of Elijah who would prepare the way for the Lord the Messiah. And that was John the Baptist. So the last Old Testament prophet we have, John the Baptist, he came preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he was after he was arrested, we read that from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what did John the Baptist preach? Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then a little bit later we read, then Jesus started preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this was no accident. God didn't make an accident in the way that he structured this, his gospel and wrote the scriptures. And what he's saying is the same message that all the Old Testament prophets were proclaiming, we must repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. We must repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. And John the Baptist being the last Old Testament prophet saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is almost here. We've been proclaiming it's coming for a long time. Now it's almost here. Jesus comes and continues that same message. Jesus comes preaching the same message that the Old Testament has been preaching. Jesus didn't come to preach a new message. Jesus came to fill in all the blanks that we have in, the old, in the, the old message that has been from the very beginning. The same story from Genesis, from Adam and Eve, all the way up to Jesus, has been the same story has been proclaimed throughout all the scriptures, and Jesus came to fulfill that story. So when he called his first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we read, Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, Now, Jesus began to go all all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And you see, this is the message Jesus preached, the kingdom. Everywhere John the Baptist went, he went preaching to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And everywhere Jesus went, he went preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Old Testament pointed to a coming glorious kingdom where one like a son of man would be given an everlasting kingdom and rule and the whole world would be changed and God would rule from his throne forever and ever. So we read that in Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and and the government will be on his shoulders. So here is a, a, a man will be born and the government will be given to him. He, interestingly enough, will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, you know when Isaiah prophesied this, because Isaiah prophesied whatever God told him to prophesy, you know when Isaiah prophesied this, he had no idea what this meant. Thinking to himself, I, I mean, I'm just going out on limb here, just to take, this is not from the Scripture, but I'm just imagining Isaiah wondering, Are you sure, God? You know, like, I know it's you. I've seen your throne room. I've been in your presence. I know it's you, but did I mishear you? Because you just said a man will come, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be given the kingdom, the Messiah. That part, Isaiah, is like, I got it. A man will come, but he will be named Mighty God God. Eternal father? Because only you are eternal father. Only you are mighty God. So how is it that he is going to be named you? And I just don't think that everybody had it quite figured out. I know, probably, I, know I wouldn't have understood it. But then it goes on to say, The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So Isaiah prophesied, there is a coming kingdom and there will be one who will reign over the kingdom and he will be named mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. But somehow he will also be a man born to us, a child born to us. And in Daniel daniel prophesied the same thing he said in the days of those kings the god of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and this kingdom will not be left to another people it will crush all these kingdoms and will bring to an end but will itself endure forever so the people were looking forward to what a coming kingdom that will what never be destroyed never it will rule over the whole earth. No other people will ever oppress it. And the Messiah, who will be from the line of David, will be the king of that kingdom. And this is the story. Throughout the, old, the entire Old Testament, we read, from the very beginning, we read about a king... And a kingdom, and a kingdom, and a coming kingdom, and a coming kingdom, and a coming kingdom, and a coming kingdom. And then when John the Baptist gets here, he says, repent, because the kingdom is almost here. And Jesus says, repent, because the kingdom is near. It's all about a kingdom. Later, Daniel said, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, and was escorted before him he was given dominion, a glory, and a kingdom. So a one like a son of man approached before God on his throne, and God gave over to the son of man a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So you can see how everybody was looking forward to this kingdom, could you not? If you were an Israelite, you would be looking forward to this kingdom, would you not? As Christians, are we not looking forward to the kingdom to come? Jesus coming back, making the whole world his kingdom again and starting over? That's what we look forward to as Christians. This is what they were looking forward to as Israelites. This is what the people have always been looking forward to. The Old Testament prophets preached about a coming kingdom. John the Baptist preached about a coming kingdom. Jesus preached about a coming kingdom. And Jesus preached that it had now come. Luke 17, 20, 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because even the Pharisees wanted to know, when is the kingdom going to get here? He answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Have you noticed? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but just think about it. You notice that when the Pharisees asked, hey, when's the kingdom coming? Or when the disciples asked, hey, is the kingdom about to be restored? Jesus and nobody ever responded, what kingdom? What are you talking about? That was a cultural thing. Everybody knew what kingdom. Everybody was looking forward to this kingdom. But Jesus said the kingdom is not coming with soldiers. The kingdom is not coming to set up an actual city, an actual territory. Matter of fact, the kingdom is already here. It's here right now. And how is the kingdom there right now? Because their king was there right now. Jesus Jesus was the king and it all belonged to him and that's what we don't get sometimes it all is his kingdom it all belongs to him and Jesus said i'm here as your king your king, the kingdom is here now the apostles preached about the kingdom Acts 19, 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is what the apostles were going around preaching. So you think Jesus has died. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has spent 40 days on earth. Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of God. And Jesus told the apostles, go out, plant the church, spread the church, make disciples. And so they do that. And when they go out to plant the church, make the church, make disciples, they go preaching and persuading them. What we would fill it in is we would say persuading them about the gospel. That's what we would say if we were writing it. But what he's doing, they're doing is they're persuading them about the kingdom of God because you can't separate that. But he, it's even more than that. When Jesus went around preaching throughout his ministry, he preached From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He said, now Jesus, Matthew 4, 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When Jesus gave his most well-known teaching, which is what? Anybody know? Sermon on the Mount. His most well-known teaching, he gave a bunch of blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And when he he did that, he started and finished. His first blessed hour and his last blessed hour was about the kingdom. He started and finished the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, blessed. Here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the last one, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs is theirs and that's what we call bookends and that was a very common thing back then they would start and stop something with the th- same idea same thing and they used the same phrase because the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven is theirs throughout his sermon on the mount he continues uh, therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven so the whole life to come this whole eternity that we're going to spend, it's framed as the kingdom, the kingdom. We say heaven. We have, we have substituted the word kingdom. We have substituted in the word heaven, have we not? American society, when we talk about living forever with God, the word we always, always use is heaven. But Jesus and the disciples use the word kingdom. Now, of course, they use the word heaven as well, but there's this idea that it's a kingdom. But I think we're just so removed from what a kingdom a kingdom is. We don't live in a kingdom. We don't live under a king, and we're just so removed from that concept that it doesn't even enter into our minds. He says, but whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And when he taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray for God's kingdom to what? Come. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, you may think to yourself, have I missed this this whole time? That the Lord's Prayer that we've probably recited who knows how many thousands of times. It's about looking forward to the coming of God's kingdom. We're looking forward to God's kingdom. We're looking forward to the kingdom. We're praying, God, your kingdom come. He taught us to seek after the kingdom. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And when you've thought about that verse before, have you really thought about a kingdom? Or you just think, you automatically, you take that phrase, and you automatically just substitute heaven or Jesus or something. But do you think about a kingdom? Do you think about walls? Do you think about guards? Do you think about um, a, a castle or, or a central place where the king resides. You know, when we, I, I should have got pictures is what I should have done. Cause you know, visuals, videos, pictures, those are always good. I'll try to incorporate some more of those, but just imagine with me, do like your parents always told you to do as kids, use your imagination. Okay. Just imagine with me a kingdom. Think of a kingdom. And what do you think? Some of you who are Disney fans, you think of immediately a castle with long, tall spires and this this wall, this brick wall that goes around it. <laughs> and the wall looks like it's always just right beyond the castle itself. Like it looks like the castle and then the wall's right outside of the castle. But, I mean, isn't that what you think? Maybe, maybe you think of a drawbridge that lets down in a moat you know, but you think of a castle in the center and you think of walls and watchtowers and people stationed on the watchtowers to watch if anybody's coming. That's kind of what you think of, of a kingdom. But when we think about heaven and we think about God, we never think anything like that, ever. Like not even remotely. Like we think, what do we think? We think big fields, you know, like open pasture where you can run or, or, I don't know, clouds. I don't know what we think. But whatever you usually think when you think about heaven, you don't think about a kingdom because we don't like kingdoms, you know. And I think that's part of the issue. And that's part of our story is as people, we don't like kingdoms. We don't like submitting, having to submit to a king. We don't like to be told what to do by someone else. And honestly, you can see that story throughout the whole Bible. But the difference is, we often think about submitting to earthly kings who are selfish, who are self-focused, who want to abuse you and use you as labor. But we have a perfect heavenly father who is a king. And he is a just king. And he is a righteous king. One worth giving our lives to. So, of course, I'm going to skip most of the verses about the kingdom of heaven because there's just too many. But you get the point already. But I want to, I want to jump here. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease And every sickness. Jesus went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. When he sent his disciples out, remember he sent them out in twos to go and do what he has taught them to do? He said, Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim. Here's the thing. When Jesus sent his disciples out in twos to the towns to teach, just like he had been going around teaching, this is what he told them to teach. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. When you go to these towns, teach the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Matthew gives us a bunch of parables that Jesus taught about how the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember all these? the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Remember that? He said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. Remember these stories? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And on and on and on he goes. He gave us warnings about the kingdom. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Who doesn't know that one? Every American knows knows that that one. And every one of us here has thought about how hard it would be to try to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And we think, well, they must have had really big needles back then. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And he even rebuked those who prevented people from entering the kingdom. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. He talked about how the gospel of the kingdom will go out to all the world. He said the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And at Jesus' death, everybody knows about Jesus' death. He was crucified as what? King of the Jews. And then being crucified as having a sign over his head as king of the Jews, what did the thief on the cross say to him? Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Because all these people are mocking you as a king, but I believe you are a king, and I believe all kings have a real kingdom. And so when you as king go to your kingdom, will you remember me? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I didn't put the next verse, but you know what the next verse says. And Jesus said with him, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Then after Jesus was killed for his preaching about the kingdom, he rose from the dead. He spent 40 days on earth before he ascended into heaven. And what did he do during that 40 days? You remember, remember me harping on this several times? What did he do for 40 days? You would think, okay, this is all the time I've got. I'm going to make the most of my time. What did he do? It says, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember the two disciples? Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Now this is during the 40 days. This is what he's doing he said to them how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken wasn't it necessary for the messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory then beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures he spent his time teaching them about the kingdom of god and that's uh, i'll pull that verse up here in just a second But he taught them about how everything in the scriptures, all the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him, Jesus, as the king. It says they came near the village where they were going and it gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Jesus taught that all the scriptures point to and explain him, the king. He told them, and then a little bit later, he shows up in that room. He says, uh, he told them, these are, what, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, that's, that's, that's beautiful right there. Jesus said he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And, and if we were to say today that this idea of the kingdom and it all being about a story and how the story weaves from the beginning through the end and explaining how this story tells God's story and it's about his kingdom and about his coming king, Jesus, and about how we can become a part of that kingdom— it's a, it's a framework, it's a key to be able to unlock and understand all the scriptures, to be able to see how they all work together, how they all point, and to not go into that mindset as American Christians, New Testament Christians in the year 2020, of thinking that the Old Testament is somehow irrelevant, somehow it doesn't apply to me, somehow it's disconnected, and I don't understand it. And this right here is the key that Jesus is trying to say. It's all talking about a kingdom— And that kingdom has a king, and I, the Messiah, am that king. Every time we see him after his resurrection, what's he doing? He's, there's a word I'm looking for, teleporting. (laughs) I mean, that's it. I mean, he's teleporting. He, He disappears, and he reappears out of nowhere. I mean, he just constantly does it. He's like, okay, I've just just spent 33 years walking place to place. Now I'm just going to go wherever I want to go when I want to go there and just be there. You know, he can do that. He's Jesus. Um, But he went on. Let me jump to our next verse. Uh, Skipping, skipping a lot here. I may be skipping too much. All right. It says, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so that's what God tells us he did. For 40 days, he spent talking about the kingdom of God. 40 days. That's what he did. What's the most important thing he did during those 40 days? He spent talking about the kingdom of God. And that is what we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about the kingdom of God. And we're going to weave it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We're going to see how that story is the story that's the framework for all of the Scripture, that we can look at all the Scripture, and that that we can then turn around and use that as our basis of conversation when we're talking to people, because that's what Jesus and the apostles did. They spent their time. Jesus spent his time speaking about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're looking forward to. Now I'm going to skip to the end here. Colossians 1.13 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And see, this is our story as New Testament Christians, going from lost to saved, going from not knowing God to being forgiven by him, restored, adopted as a children, children of God. Paul told the Colossians, this is what happens. God has rescued us from a domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We are now members of a kingdom kingdom we are members of a kingdom we live in a kingdom we have a king and not only are we subjects i mean we we are we we submit ourselves to him as our king but not only are we subjects we are so much more than that we are heirs we are adopted as his children that makes you a prince or a princess. Legit. For real. You are really royalty. So when you have a little daughter who pretends like she's a princess and acts like she's a princess, she really is a princess. And you don't have to crush her feelings by telling her she's not. She is. And little boys really are princes and so are we if you have placed your faith in jesus christ as a son of god romans 8 16, 17 says the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are god's children and if children also heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him We are children of God. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That makes you a legitimate prince or princess. The scriptures say that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning that you have turned from sin and that you believe that God has raised him from death to life, then you too will be saved from death and granted life. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus is alive and is at the right hand of the throne of God, sitting on a throne, ruling a kingdom right now? Because he is. And we're all members of that kingdom. And I pray and I hope that over the next several weeks, we will get a very good grasp of that story, of that kingdom, to have that framework, to see how all of the Bible is tied and weaved together. I would encourage you to invite your friends. Let them come and hear and see how there's one grand story throughout history and throughout time in Scripture that we're all a part of and how we can all can be a part of that kingdom forever. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you For being king, for not being rivaled, for being, for having a kingdom that cannot be shaken, for having a kingdom that cannot be overpowered or overtaken, and for having control of the future. And Father, we submit to you as our king. And Father, we are unworthy to be your children. But Father, we are overwhelmed with love to know that we are. That you have made us your children that you have made us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Father, we love you. And Father, we could never, ever, ever, ever thank you enough for your love. Father, help us to understand your word, to understand it in a way that we, we see how it's one continuous story, how it's not separated, how part of it's not irrelevant to us, but that it's all relevant to us. It's all our story and how we play a part in that story. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for inviting us into your story. Father, forgive us when we we sin. Forgive us when we fail. But, Father, lift us up and show us what it is you want us to do each and every day. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.